Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. So first of all, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for taking this time out. First of all, I apologize for having to cancel the other day, but I'm glad that we've got this, we're getting this done and, and I'm just thrilled to death that you, um, that you agreed to be on this podcast. I, I said to Dana, um, which by the way, I do allow Dana to talk. She just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he allows the guests to talk too, Barry. So I, I you'll do. have, you'll have time I, in a minute. <laughs> I do. I do. But you know, the, the whole thing behind you know this podcast that so many people don't realize and we talked a little bit about it on our very first podcast but you know I was on Dana's podcast when after the end of it I said oh my gosh we have to do a podcast together and she was like okay and so I just feel like you know as I've listened to podcasts throughout the country and I've you know I've I follow, try to follow as many Facebook groups as I can. And I see you and I are so connected on so many of them. We see so much information that is inaccurate. Yeah. And we see so much, you know, one of the things that, that I feel, and again, I always talk about this. This is my only, my personal, how I feel is that I feel that there's not enough of support. There's a lot of talk, but not enough yeah. support. And, yeah. you know, I wanted this podcast to be something that one, we educate the public about foster care because you know, better than anybody, the, the public is not educated about it. They have no idea about kinship. And those are two things that I think we need to talk about. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to death to have you here today. Absolutely. You are. Yeah, that's crazy. You are. You're actually our second guest that we've had on here. So, oh, okay. so, wow. so I'm thrilled to death about it. We just had, we released our second podcast yesterday. And um, Dana, tell about who is our, our guest from yesterday. So her name is Sonia Granados and she was on the reality show Married at First Sight which okay. doesn't sound like a place where you would find a good guest for a podcast about foster care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, it's so strange because a couple of weeks ago I was sick and, you know, I was just watching junk television and happened mm -hmm. to come across that show. And Sonia is a social worker who works mm -hmm. with children in the foster care system. She's an advocate for former youth in foster care. And now her current job is that she trains people to be foster parents and she's just a total mm -hmm. sweetheart. So I just wow. kind of went out on a limb and thought maybe she'd be willing to talk to us. And she was very happy to. So, yeah. So, and now we have you. And the funny thing is, I... Isn't foster care and adoption like an area that first heart, you know, you're stranger coming together <laughs> trying to build something yeah yeah so and then i had seen your story 
uh, probably mm-hmm. about a month ago or so it was kind of going around and, and people actually tagged me in it because they know that I, that I volunteer for comfort cases. And okay. the next thing I know, Rob's like, we're going to have Barry Farmer on the podcast. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> his story just went viral. <laughs> so yeah. So, so tell us, um, tell us how did your story make the, make the news initially? Cause it's been a couple of years now that it's been out there. And I feel like it's kind of like that, that gift that keeps on giving, it keeps going viral. So tell us how your story first went public and, and what that's been like well the story going public the first time was i had, I had been asked to do a local media story about foster care adoption just to help promote foster care adoption here in rich in the richmond area and they shared it um and then from there you know it went viral from there i didn't know really what viral did back then it was like 2016 I was on and off of social media, so I'm not exactly sure of the terminology and everything. And my cousin, she tagged me about a day later. She was like, you're going viral. And I was like, well, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) Then one of these messages started coming. And I said, okay. And, you know, I, I, I won the boys. I'm like, well, that story that we did is doing this thing called viral and we're going all over the internet right now so i'm sure everybody that you know at school that's an adult has seen the story by now <laughs> so, they, so they come home from school the next day my older two and they're like yeah yeah that's it's, it's happening i said wow so that first year it was like one of those okay it happened now we're back to normal life from the second year we um, did another one for the promoting foster care and adoption locally on a local station, and um, that one went viral again on a different network. So it's going all over again. So at that time, we we got invited to do a project for Disney about family. So here, me and the boys, we're planning to take our first plane ride ever anywhere across the country to California, Los Angeles, California, and. I guess on the way up in the air, it was going viral again, because by the time I touched down in Los Angeles, there were a bunch of messages again, and there were messages from the Inside Edition, there were messages from People Magazine, um, a few other media sources, and I was like, "This, I can't believe this is happening again. <laughs> so um, from there, it's just like a wave now. It's just like a wave, and we... I, I let the boys know when the wave is come back around so they can be prepared you know, in case somebody stops them or whatnot, the older ones anyway. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it has its moments of wow, and I have, to, I have gotten used to it. And uh, we as a family have gotten used to it as well. So, um, we, you know, it's just a pleasant surprise. I love it. I love it every time I see it. I love it. You know, I I went through that same stage that you went through with that whole viral thing. I had no mm-hmm. idea what viral meant. Um, yeah. And it was my, it was, I remember when my video was being dropped and I said to my 10-year-old son at the time, um, I think he was like nine, I said, daddy's viral videos going viral he said no dad he says your videos being dropped he said we'll, we'll never see viral and then three i think it was about three days later we were at a little over i think 30 million and he was like we're viral <laughs> you know and and like you it it comes in waves um 
it comes in waves. And I think that you and I both as kids who were in the system and kids who, you know, who parents who have adopted kids from the system, we actually have a responsibility more than I think anyone else does. Um, and, and you know, what you just said is that, you know, over sometimes, I mean, it is overwhelming. And I will tell you, even for me today, you know, it's still overwhelming. Um, but I just keep reminding my children that, you know, the first thing you got to do is be humble. The second thing you have to do is you have to remember we're all human and we want to help each other and just never forget where that, where that came from. So, so, so tell me some, I, so I, I got so many questions, Dana, by the way. So, you know, because again, I've, I'm, I'm riding this wave. Like you have ridden this wave. I, I was a guy who sat behind a desk as a banker for 25 years and never in a million years would I even think that I would be having a conversation with you about, you know, just because of our story, because we live it every day, you know, I mean, yeah. we live it every day. I mean, but what I have a question for you and, and anything and everything that we talk about on this, this podcast, that there are times you, because we're pre-recorded, you can say, you know what, Rob, I don't want to talk about that. But, you know, one of the things that I had about a, a, a lot of backlash from, and even had the backlash from what I want to consider our community. And I always say this, our communities are not our zip code, but what I'm talking about is the foster care community of people who have aged out where for some reason we feel like we owe this alumni group. But I had so much backlash from them because they felt like I was this, these were these two white men coming in and saving the day for these four black kids. Do you see that being an African-American man and you have actually taken in white children? Children. Oh yeah, that first going around. Uh, <laughs> the backlash was fears from of the black community, not everybody, but there was a few little people in the group. Well, there were a few thousand people. They were like, "I oh, own those black kids and foster care. You couldn't adopt not one." Blah blah blah. And I, you know, I sat back and I've had to think to myself. I'm like, they don't know what I went through to get here and how this actually came about. You know, it's not like I went down to social service and said, hey, I want to be a foster parent, but no black kids, please. If that is not how it works. And it definitely didn't work like that in my household because when I started, I was 20, and I knew the feelings that these kids would be feeling. And I did not, I checked the box that says everybody's welcome in my home, no matter what the race is. So, you know, up until my my oldest son arrived, I had never really interacted with white kids. I'm from the inner city of Richmond. Anything that I've ever done with children at that point were African-American children only. So, you know, I had to let myself back and say, they don't know who they're talking to right now. They don't know what I do in the community anyway. So um, I'm going to have to let them think what they need to think to make themselves feel mightier than me, even though they probably don't have a license themselves and they're not contributing themselves. I want to keep doing what I do for my, for my kids. Wow. Wow. I, I just, I love the fact that, you know, as you just said it, you didn't, you didn't check the box. I was just like, Reese and I, I mean, and, and by the way, 20 years old, Dana, just think about that. 
Right. I mean, when I read that part, not only is it amazing that you're a single dad who's adopted three children, but that you started so young when people like me were out getting drunk every night, not thinking about anybody else. And so how how did you know you were ready at such a young age? And, and how were you ready at such a young age to to take care of children? Here's how I see it. Um, I'm the type of person that pays. I'm very observant in how others move. And I was very observant growing up how my own parents moved my own biological parents moved. And I knew that one thing I did know is I could not try drugs. I could not try alcohol because I knew that genetically it probably was not going to work out well for me. So I had to make sure that I always stayed away from those types of environments if I wanted to not become a statistic. That's what I did know. So I always stayed clear. I never never drink alcohol. Never smoked a day in my life, never tried any type of drug because I, I want better for myself. So at the age of 20, I already made up my mind who I was going to be and how I was going to get there and how, what success was going to look like for me. It looked different for everybody. And I just knew that I was going to avoid all, at all costs repeating the same mistakes. And if I was going to become a parent, that I was going to do it better, way better than what, what it was done to me which was really done at all. So that's that's why I took that route, because I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something better. At the time, I felt like I didn't really have anything better to do. <laughs> so I, I decided that this was going to be, if, if they were going to allow me, because at the time, you know, I found this ad in the paper, and it said, both the parents are allowed 18 and up, not 15, you know. I'm, I'm almost 20, so I guess I fit the, you know... <laughs> The criteria, let's see if they'll let me through. And I got it, they did, and here I am two years later. So you give a lot of credit to your grandma, Cora. She's the one who raised you. Am I right about that? That's right. Okay. And so when when you went to your grandma and you said to her that I'm 20 years old and I'm going to be, uh, I want to be a foster parent, what what did she say? My grandmother was such a character. She, 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 she was such a character. She had her own way of talking her own sound, so it's it easy for people to imitate her. And when I told her that, she did her usual, oh, oh, well, I'm proud of you for that. That's good for you. And I was like, good, I'm going to need to babysit <laughs> She was happy. She would tell all her friends what I was doing. You know, that's, she loved doing it. She, she loved it. She only met my oldest son. And they absolutely adored each other. So they would talk and talk and talk as I'm going in the store shopping for her and she was watching in the car and she didn't really feel like walking around. And I would come back and the windows would be all foggy because they would talk to each other after death in the winter. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. So, that, I love that. I love that. She seems like she was an absolutely amazing woman and amazing woman. How old were you when you when you actually started to live with your grandmother? I was about, I was about four going on five wow. years old. Did you have a constant relationship with your birth parents? No. No. It wasn't consistent. It was something that my grandmother never denied it, both either one of them access to me. But they didn't take that that access, they didn't take her up on that. As often as they could have, it was more like maybe I see them a few times a year or maybe every other year or whatever they're going through. 
So November the never denied them access to me at all. That being said, I, I had to make up my mind of, again, at a young age, well, what, what am I looking for right now? And my grandma had a great community around me. We were living in a historical black neighborhood, and the neighbors were all older, and they, you know, they would take me in the house, give me cookies, let me watch TV, <laughs> uh, take me to the store, because my grandmother didn't join. So that's the only way I got around, with the neighbors and the help from the local elementary school. And the staff over there who I absolutely love. I still have lunch with these ladies today after almost 20 something years. So, you know, if building that unknown village around me has been very beneficial for my life. So, between my grandmother and it was my, my mother's sister, who was my aunt, those two really held on to me as much as, that, much as possible. Before I even knew my grandmother, Cora, I was staying with my aunt Angela. And my sisters were in foster care, so in order for my sure to get my sisters out, I had to leave because we could not share the same room. You know the regulations, right? Oh. So, yeah, uh, the crazy regulations. Wait, wait. So, what is this regulation? Because I don't know what it is. Uh, same genders can't share the same room in a house when it comes to fostering or kinship or anything like that. And oh. that, and that's no matter what the age is, by the way, Dana. And so, even if you're siblings, yes. So, so for instance, in our state, in our state of Maryland, um, if you are a sibling, if you're if you're biologically a brother and sister, you you can live in the same bedroom. I think it's till like the age of eight or nine, but not if you are siblings and you're in the foster care system. Yeah. Okay, you know, it's just it's not allowed. It's oh not wow! Allowed. Yeah. yeah, no, my brother, sister, and I all shared a bedroom until I was ten. Yeah. Well, yeah. nope, wouldn't have happened. You would have been split up in the system, yeah. and each would have you, each one of you would have gone into a, a different home. So, so Grandma Cora took all three of you in. No, Grandma, I, my Grandma Cora took me in because I was her son. Okay. Son. What do you have my a relationship mother, with your sisters? Oh yeah, we see each other a few times a year. We all meet at my own home okay. on holidays. You know, um, stay connected on Facebook. So we all live in town, except for one of my sisters lives in Delaware. But we all stay in town, and we, we cross each other every now and then. <laughs> so I'm going to ask the question that most people are, are going to say, wow, I can't believe Rob's going to go there. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about the fact that, you know, I am constantly being reminded how that it's not possible and I've been told not possible for me as a white male to even consider raising four African-American boys in today's climate and I will tell you it's been one of the hardest struggles and I I talk about it very openly that this has not been easy and because it again you know I say it all the time I'm a white privileged male when I walk into a store um teaching your boys you know, is that's got to be? You're looking at these boys, these th- these three white boys, who, by the way, again, they're 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 going to be looked at differently, Barry, than you and your dreads. I'm telling you. Um, how do you how do you approach that as a father? How do you approach that as a father who who needs to teach her? Because again, I I'm going to say it. people tell me all the time. You know, well, you want to make sure they have their 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 black heritage, and you got to make sure that well. Has anybody ever said to you, you don't want them to forget about their white heritage? Well, you know, when I first, um, after I adopted my oldest son, I was already making moves of inclusion that I wasn't even aware of. 
because I knew that where we were living, he was he was like the odd man out. He was in a predominantly black school uh, neighborhood. So I'm like, we need to move. I need to get him around more people that look like him, so he can, if he needs to relate, he can relate. So, because if I needed to relate, I just drive back to Richmond. <laughs> I um. I packed this up and I moved to a suburb where it was very diverse, not necessarily just white, but extremely diverse. And um, I, I made sure that he could have his pick of who, who he decides to associate with. And he does gravitate more towards um, a mixture of people. And I've, I've noticed that. I'm like, okay, great. You know, you're very diverse. And all of them are very diverse in their friendship. So, um, me making that, that decision of moving him to a place where he can have his options to choose on, on how he will develop relationships and friendships was important to me. I didn't want him to be, like, settling because there's no, there's no other option for him. Um, and with any of them, because I really didn't know that two more white kids were coming down the line. Right. But he was my main focus, my only child at the time. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure that he could see someone that looks like him because my family is all black. Um, and, you know, he, he was hanging around us 90% of the time unless he goes to school. But if he goes to school, he's able to interact with more white people and uh, Indian people and Hispanics and blacks. And, you know, that makes me happy that he is able to get all of that in because he ought to know, you know, who he is and who others are. You know, Barry, it, it sounds you do exactly what Reese and I do. You just want to raise him to be a good human. Exactly. Yeah, you want to raise him to be a good human. And by the way, I have loved, loved, loved watching him grow up through social media. You and I have been following each other for quite a while. I remember when his hair was long. Um, <laughs> see, you don't think that you didn't realize that I have been, I have been following you. Like I remember when his hair was long and now I just saw the other day where he had, he was having his senior portraits. Wow. Wow. You know, my daughter, my daughter just turned 15. She's going to be a sophomore this year. And the time goes, how old was he when he arrived in your home? Oh, he was seven going on eight. Seven going on, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, Maya was four, and she was going on five. And I'll tell you that time just goes by so, so, so fast. You know, Barry, a couple more. I got, like I said, I got tons of questions. And Dana, you are going to talk. Um, <laughs> but you know, what's next in the chapter of Barry Farmer? Oh man, you know, it can't come by the day. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, I, I'm here in Richmond. I'm doing my radio show here at the Barry Farmer Morning Show, and and having tons of fun doing that. Like, it's something that I've always wanted to do, and just didn't get around to it. But now that the boys are older, I'm not as involved because they don't want me. Um, I am making more time for myself. Um, I'm still making time for my little one because he's so little. He's still he's nine, so it's, it's kind of like me and him right now. The older two are out with the friends and doing all this other stuff. So, um, I'm, my next chapter is keep on working on the radio show and keep doing the advocacy for the foster care and adoption. Well, I want us to do us together. I want you and I to do it together. I want you and I to figure out a way to join these two forces. And, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, I hope I hope that there's a book 
in the making. I hope that there is, you know, a TV show in the making. You never know. Um, you, you never know, you know, answer as many calls. A couple of things I tell people, you know, who have reached out to me because it's happened to, to, to my family, get yep. a good manager. Um, because there are a lot of sharks in the water. Yeah. A lot of sharks in the water and a lot of over. Oh my gosh. Barry, just like I said, hold on to that life preserver. Get a good manager because I will tell you, you get more promises than you get deliveries. Um, and just keep doing, but I definitely want to see us work together. You know, Dana, there's a couple of questions that I think you had that you wanted to ask Barry as well. Um, I do. So what would you tell single parents, men or women who are thinking about becoming foster parents and having doubts because I don't have a partner in this and who might be insecure about becoming foster parents, but they want to, but they're not sure. So what would you say to them? Uh, my advice always is to, if you want to make it work, you'll find a way to make it work. Um, when I got started, I knew that 90% of it was going to be all on me and I was going to make a way to make it work. Especially when I was going through adoption, I'm, like, I'm going to make this work somehow. I'm going to find a sitter or do anything I got to do to make sure that I have this kid that he's secure. Um, but I, I wouldn't let anything stand in your way. Just, you know, go to the go to the information sessions as as you need um, and just gather as much information as possible. And don't go in naive thinking you're going to save the world because that's just not how it works. And if there were... And I think Rob and I have decided we're going to ask this question to our guests every time because I think we're going to get a range of answers. But if you could change two things about the foster care system right now, what would they be? One thing I would change would be how kinship is handled. I think, you know, people want to step forward, but they're scared to step forward because they don't feel like they're financially able. And I think if kinship was offered some type of financial um, reimbursement of some sort, then more families would be able to stay together or be willing to step forward. Um, another thing I would change is probably that sibling world that me and Rob were talking about earlier. <laughs> if there's no behaviors that have warranted that rule, then I think that rule should be waived in order to keep the siblings together. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more on both of those counts. You know, so many times we see kids going into the system that could have stayed in kinship because of, you're right, the financial part of it, mm -hmm. you, you know. Dana, I don't think you are... So, so I know when you become a foster parent, there is financial help, but if it's kinship, they don't get that help? Oh, man, yeah, that definitely needs to change. I uh, see, and I'm learning, too, because I don't know anything about all this. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of playing the role of the, you know, just the regular average person who's not educated about foster care. So, But, you know, Dana, not every state's the same. So that's the other thing. I mean, there are some states that you get some type of kinship stipend, um, mm -hmm. but the majority of the states do not have that. And so the sad part is, is that just like, you know, just like Barry had said, there are lots of families that would have stepped up to keep that family intact, which at the end of the day, that's what we want to do. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, financially, I mean, Barry, you know what it's like with three boys. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. I have three boys and one daughter. And I tell you, my three boys, I have to get a part time job just to pay the grocery bill. You know, <laughs> you know. so do your boys have. 
day. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, the groceries and how fast they grow out of clothes. Um, oh yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. It's cr- absolutely crazy. So you know, Barry, do your boys have any contact with their bio families? No, no, they don't. No, no. And they were long gone before I even met the boys. So that was, you know. They they are okay right now. If they have questions, I hope they have answers. But any questions that they do have, I do have some answers for them, but I don't have all the answers. So. Wow. Hopefully one day they will, if they want to, they will get in contact. Yeah. Um, if they want. Yeah, and that and you know I talk I talk about that quite often and very open. You know, we we're in a state where we had closed adoptions, but you know, I've always said, you know, we have an open door policy if if as long as the parents, you know, do the anger management, do all of the things that they need to do um to and they want to come and break bread at our table, you know, the the door is there, but you know, the sad part is it's been, you know, going on 11 years and we just don't see that every every time as I can't imagine this isn't going to happen to you or it has happened to you mm-hmm. every time, you know, the wave of social media happens or the wave of media yeah. happens, you'll yeah. get somebody come out of the woodwork. It never, yeah. ever fails. I always have someone who contacts me for money mm-hmm. thinking that I'm making mm-hmm. money off this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I would like to know what this money of this I know. <laughs> It is not happening. I know. I say the and same like, thing. I don't talk to you on foster care groups. I'm like, you're making a career. I'm like, what but, but but you know what, Barry? I will tell you, there are people, you know, and the reason you don't make money or the reason I don't make money, the reason we never made money is because we did it for the right reasons. We put the money where it was supposed to be. But you know as well as I do, there are people out there that, you know, when, when you know, I look at the, the fact my kids, you know, who had been in several homes before they arrived in our homes still carrying trash bags and didn't even have a toothbrush i was thinking to myself what the hell did you do with that stipend you know i I think the same thing it's unbelievable clothes that didn't even belong to them it just belonged to the older kids and they decided to just pack those up and say that it was his and clearly somebody's name is written in the back of them it's not the child's name it's crazy really boils me about that it, it is absolutely crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy. Well, you know, Barry, I have to tell you that Dana and I are just absolutely so excited that you have you came on board this pod, podcast and we got to talk. You know, we're going to be having another podcast probably, I'm thinking, late fall. I'd like to do it during the Kinship Month, which, you know, um, okay. I think that we do not get enough of recognition for, you know, we have National Foster Care Month. We have National Adoption mm-hmm. Month. And as you know, we do have National Kinship Month. Oh, and I didn't know that. You're kidding. We do. We The month of September is actually known for National Kinship Month. Now, the problem is, is that that month gets um, people actually 
because it's also National Suicide Prevention Week during the middle of that month. But the actual month of September is known for National Kinship Care Month. Um, And so I want to have you back with Dana and I in September, and I want us to talk about kinship. I want us to talk about kinship. I want us to really dissect it. Um, Because as Dana said, she didn't realize that, you know, with kinship that we we didn't, you know, there weren't stipends given. I, I think that, you know, we as a country, you know, one of the big things that people are pushing so much is reunification, reunification, reunification. And I'm a firm believer of reunification. But at the same time, we start have to start looking at reunification as family reunification. So if I'm able to take Billy and Billy is able to go and live with his aunt Charlotte, but aunt Charlotte just needs that extra little help financially for healthcare or daycare or that monthly stipend, which by the way, all foster parents get, there shouldn't be a difference. There shouldn't be a difference, you know, and so I would love to have you back in September. Let's dissect National Kinship Month. And Barry, I have to, I have to tell you, I am I am absolutely grateful to call you my friend. I am so grateful. I can't wait. I have got a ticket for you for the gala in April. Oh, I have your ticket. So you just you don't even have to worry about your ticket, my friend. I have your ticket. Okay, I I want you here in April for the gala. Um, I I want I cannot wait for you to be here. Um, you better put it on your calendar, April twenty fifth. You're coming here. The ticket is on me, um, and I can't wait to to talk to you. Yes. Oh, it'll be so great to meet you. And thank you so much, Barry, for taking the time. And where can everybody find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I am Barry Palmer. Very simple. I like the things simple. As a social media manager, that makes me happy. (laughs) I love it. Hey, listen, my friend, you'll get a copy of this. We will um, figure out the air date and you will give it to you. So, you know, we'll spread it throughout and let everybody hear it. But listen, you're part of the wave. You're part of the wave. I talk about the wave quite often and the wave is change. And that's what we want to do is we want to make change within our system and making change within our system is making change within kinship as well because that is part of our system so i love you my brother i cannot wait for you and i to talk real soon and by the way you have my number you have my email if you have any questions ever as you're riding this wave with me you don't hesitate to call take care oh absolutely thanks guys appreciate it Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.